The following audio is from a sermon series for the season of Advent entitled Songs for the Savior. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 98 and Luke 2.10. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing together for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Luke 2.10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. This season, right, Christmas season, hap-happiest season of all. We've got the bells, the, the glimmering, the twinkling, the lights. Uh, many of you have dusted off your old ugly Christmas sweaters to, to resurface those for the annual party, right? There's this, there's this natural buzz of, of happiness and of joy that comes with the season. And some people are really into that. Like some people just love it. Like they spend all year planning for it. Christmas tree goes up as soon as Halloween's over. You know, they've got their ugly Christmas sweaters out year-round. They've got the uh, hot cocoa and all that stuff going all the time, and they just love it. And that's great. That's great. But for a lot of people, this season, happiness isn't the first thing that comes to mind. This season isn't marked by happiness for a lot of us. It's a hard season. It can be a lonely season if you've, if you've lost a loved one in this year or, or you just are, are just dealing with loneliness in relationships. You're hurting it's a season where questions and doubts come to the surface, like what's, what's next for me in my future? What, what am I doing here? And so it can be a season of great questions, and, and then add on top of that the financial burden of gift-giving and the time-consuming travel. It just adds extra stresses, and in the midst of, of this turmoil, in the midst of this difficulty, people kind of have this expectation for you to be holly and jolly, Right? To kind of put the face on and, and join with the choirs and sing and go Christmas caroling. But a lot of times the season comes and goes and, and that type of person's left wondering, like, did I, did I miss something here? Like, isn't this supposed to be a season where, where I'm supposed to find joy and happiness and, and to be excited and, and be uh, impressed with the snow and the lights? But for some of us, that does bring happiness to see those things. It is a season of happiness. And so with the season comes this expectation of joy. And, and here's the thing. This season itself cannot bring joy. Like This season cannot bring joy in itself. It can bring some happiness. We can have good times. We can enjoy it. But the season itself does not offer us joy. That's because happiness and joy are two different things. They're, they're similar, but they're different. They're similar in the fact that they both produce a sense of, of delight and of well-being, of pleasure. But they're different in that they come from two different things, that, that the joy and happiness comes from a source. 
And in order for joy or happiness to produce, uh, it must come from something. It doesn't come out of thin air like that. The thing that separates them is, is the source of, if, if joy comes from something that is, is infinite, that is, that is constant and continuous, it's, um, it's not circumstantial. Joy doesn't depend on optimal situations to exist. And actually, joy intensifies over time. And even in the midst of difficulty and sorrow, joy isn't snuffed out. It isn't stopped. It continues to go and grow. Where on the other hand, happiness is found in limited things, in finite things. It's found in things that fade away or change with time. You know, and some of these things can be good things. We find happiness in our spouse, in our kids, in other relationships. Nothing makes me happier than to hear my son laugh. That's something that brings a lot of happiness, a lot of cheer to my heart. We look for happiness in jobs or responsibilities. If we're really good at something, that can offer us some happiness. We look for happiness in entertainment or hobbies or accomplishments. If you're doing a woodworking project, you finish the the project and you look at it and it's like, yes, this makes me happy. I've worked, I've invested, this is something good. You can find happiness if your team is doing well. You can find happiness in watching movies or reading great books. There's happiness to be had in those things. But, But the problem with happiness is that these things cannot be sustained. They cannot sustain your happiness all the time. Happiness will eventually come to an end because the source isn't constant. So no matter what relationship you're in, no matter how happy it is, there will always be seasons of struggle and of difficulty when it's hard to find happiness. If you're like me, you have the worst team in the NFL, it'll be hard to find happiness in the Oakland Raiders. Your kids, they start rebelling, and that happiness of all the smiles and the laughter start, starts to kind of trickle away because it's frustrating, it's tough. You get a new boss, and, and the, the happiness that you found in doing a good job and, and working with great coworkers starts to kind of fade away under this, this burdensome employer. And like I said, these things aren't necessarily bad in themselves. It's not bad to find happiness in these things. It just means that these things were meant to be a source of real joy, of real, constant, lasting joy. They're incapable of giving us that constant joy that we crave, and that's really what we crave. We, we devote our life to pursuing happiness, pursuing joy. Like that's kind of always the, the motivation to the things that we do. Like we don't like to do things that don't ultimately bring us some sort of joy in the end. But too often we miss real joy because we're looking in places that only brings us temporary happiness. We're looking in the wrong place. And today's scripture and today's hymn is going to show us, it's going to point us in the right direction of the true source of real joy. It's going to show us a joy that is constant and increasing and found only as we embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and as King. So this season we've been looking at uh, Christmas hymns, some of the, the best Christmas hymns that we know. We love to sing these year in and year out. And it's been really good to take, take a minute to kind of peel away the layers and dissect them a little bit, understand what it means. And for me, it's been really good because not only am I seeing that, that these songs are rooted in Scripture, like Scripture is really what composes these things, but they're also incredibly theologically robust. And today's hymn is no exception, Joy to the World. 
Now, a little bit about this hymn. Joy to the World was written by Isaac Watts, and he was given the title of the father of English hymnody. He was considered the best hymn writer of all time. And he got his uh, start writing music at a young age. His dad was a pastor at a church. And Isaac Watts, probably uh, this is preteen years, he, he goes to his dad and he's just complaining about how boring church music is. You know, he's like, I can't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. People, you know, it's, we're singing about joy and we're singing about happiness and we're singing about all this great stuff, but people are singing like they're lifeless. You know, there's, there's a problem here. And so his dad says, well, if you don't like it, why don't you do something about it? So Isaac Watts goes to his room. He, he writes a song. And then the next Sunday, they're singing this song that he wrote in church. And from that point on, he continued to write music and, and, and write poems for the church so that the church would have something more contemporary, something better to grasp. And, and actually, Isaac Watts had a, had a unique way of writing music. Because in, in one hand, he had a high regard for Scripture. He loved the Word of God. But in the other hand, he had a desire to, to make this, this Scripture and these songs accessible, to make sense for the ordinary Christian. And so he, he, what he would do is he would take psalms that David would wrote or whoever wrote the psalms, and he would rewrite them as if they were written in his own time. And so it kind of gave it a, a contemporary sort of feel, a kind of a modern language to them. And and it was really good. It was, he found that it worked really well for his church. People started in, engaging. It was better music and better quality. And better, just overall, people were engaged in the music. But his contemporaries had a problem with this. Because the problem was that in rewriting some of these psalms and these hymns, it, it became difficult to, to find the source of these hymns in Scripture. It, it became difficult to see where the song came from in Scripture. So today's... This today's song is actually a good example of this, that, that before I started studying the song, I would have not guessed that joy to the world comes from Psalm 98. And, and so um, another thing about the song is, is that it's, it's unique to the season and that it wasn't actually written for Christmas. Joy to the world was never meant to be a Christmas song. You'll notice that as we sing it, that, that there's no manger, there's no baby, there's no star, no shepherds, no, no, no nativity. And that's because as Isaac wrote, wrote this, he wrote it thinking of the coming that was to come. He was thinking when, of the day that Christ would not come as a baby, but he would come as the king of kings. And so that actually fits this season perfectly. This is why we sing it, because in the Advent season, we not only look back to the first arrival of Jesus as he comes as a humble baby in a manger, but we also look forward and long and ache for the day that he will come again and make all things right. And so that's what Isaac Watts did with this song. And so we're able to sing this song in two different tenses, knowing that joy to the world, the Lord has come, that that has actually happened, that Jesus did come to earth, but also joy to the world, the Lord will come. That one day we can sing and celebrate and we will know the fullness, the absolute fullness and the reality of joy. So why don't we turn your Bibles, Psalm 98. We're gonna start there. Psalm 98. And this psalm is actually titled, Make a Joyful Noise to the Lord. And, and verses one through three are gonna tell us why exactly. It says, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. What things? His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation 
for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. This is what gives us joy. If you recap that, it says, um, motivated by, this is my words, motivated by his righteousness and his steadfast love, God displays his faithfulness by making salvation made known to the whole world. And this salvation is a joyous thing. This is something to celebrate and to give thanks for. Now, salvation is kind of a unique word. We don't use that a lot outside of the church. It doesn't necessarily happen. Maybe in some fantasy novels or something like along those lines, but, but it's not an everyday word. So I'm going to try to frame up this word in a way that makes sense for our purpose today. And I'm going to say that, that salvation is being rescued from misery and joylessness. Salvation is being rescued from misery and joylessness. For those of you who feel joyless, who feel miserable, I hope you're listening because God has made a way for you, made a way to save you from that. Scripture shows that the cause of misery and joylessness is sin. That's where misery, joylessness finds its origins. Where sin is, true joy cannot be. We see this in the Garden of Eden. God created everything good, and he, gave, he made Adam and Eve, and he gave them responsibility to tend to the garden and, and do good work and see to it that his creation was flourishing. And in this creation, there was joy, and there was peace, and there was just everything good was here. It was embodied. An oasis of God's joy was to be had in this Garden of Eden. And as they lived in righteousness, that was a privilege that Adam and Eve got to enjoy. So as, as they went about their day, one day they were tempted into sin, and they decided to rebel against God's way. They decided to not live righteously anymore. They started to live unrighteously, and they ate of the fruit, and as they did so, they lost the enjoyment that they had in, in the joy of God's perfect oasis in the Garden of Eden. And as soon as they did so, they were removed from the garden. They pain and sorrow set in, grief and anguish, misery and joylessness now became undeniable and unavoidable realities. This is the curse of sin, which joy of the world refers to. Romans, 8, Romans 5, 12 says that by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. Sin produces death, and on the road of death, there is nothing but joylessness and misery. It is sin which stands in the way of us experiencing joy. This is why it's so hard for us to find joy in this life, because sin is still very much present. Justin mentioned that we live in a dark time. I don't, I don't really need to try too hard to, to, to make this argument, because all you need to do is look at the headlines this week. Three big headlines. One, a dude goes into a, a, a chocolate shop. Of all places, a chocolate, like, this is a place where you're supposed to experience the light, right? Give me some chocolate. I'm going to be good for a while. Goes into a chocolate shop, and he holds people at knife point and gunpoint. Then later on in the week, we see uh, the Taliban retaliate against Pakistan by going into a school and slaughtering 140-some people. Went into school unarmed. There's children, 132 of those who died were kids. Or last night, come up in the news, that, that a man walked up to two police officers and shot them point blank, execution style. 
right? Like, this is not joyful news. Think of all the families that are suffering right now, that are experiencing that loss. Sin is very much present. And it's easier for us to look at those situations and to be able to identify that this is sin. Like, you would be, you would be foolish to look at those situations and say that this is not sin. But it's a sin that's standing in the way of our joy. But it's not just this blatant and heinous sin. It's not this overwhelming sin where someone has to die that causes us to, to miss joy. It's all of sin. It's all of sin. And every single one of us are affected and infected by sin. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned, that all are infected, all are unrighteous. Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, not one. It means that it's not just the big stuff, it's the small stuff. It's the, jo- it's the, it's the, the jealousy, it's the pride, it's the lust, it's the anger, the unrighteous anger. It's the covetousness. It's all these little things that often fly under our radar that prevent us from experiencing real joy. We're all infected. We're all sinners. We're all unrighteous people. And this means, look, and there's a way to look at this and say, ah, yeah, I'm, I do sin occasionally, and, and there are times where I'm unrighteousness, or I'm unrighteous and I don't, don't do the right thing. Like, it's not just what we do those things, that we are those sin, things, that we are sinful, that we are sin, that we are unrighteous. It is our essence. It's the, the fallen nature. This is our reality. Look, and, I, and I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to make, make you aware of the reality is that sin is trying to prevent you. Sin is preventing you from experiencing this joy. And this is really bad news for us because it means as unrighteous, sinful people, that we are on the road to death and misery. It's, it's, misery is here because of sin, and we, get, we are experiencing it. And try as we may, we are utterly helpless when it comes to making ourselves righteous. That we see, okay, I'm experiencing misery and joy, and and what I got to do is just maybe add some happiness, and that'll kind of cover up it. But that doesn't do it. We have to get to the root of it. We have to go and unearth the sin. We have to remove the unrighteousness. But we can't do it. We cannot pray ourselves righteous. We cannot serve ourselves righteous. We cannot work ourselves righteous. We can't read or study ourselves righteous. We can't give what we have or buy righteousness. But it must come from outside of us. Look, and there should be a a degree of terror when it comes to this. Because we're people who crave joy. We were hardwired to experience joy. And here we are. Here we are unable to find joy because it's too far out of our reach. Tim Keller says that if you can't realize the magnitude of your jeopardy of the state where sin leaves us, then you cannot measure the magnitude of deliverance. If you don't understand how deep you're in, you don't understand what it is that God, how, it, how big it is that God saved us. And so here we are in our misery and sin. Thankfully, the story doesn't end there. It's a, these are my favorite words in the Bible. But God. He, 
he makes it clear that, that there is sin, that that is a reality, and, but it's not the end. He says, but God, Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, he did something. And in his steadfast love and faithfulness to his people, God has done something marvelous. He unfolds his plan to rescue us, to rescue us from sin and misery, rescue us from joylessness. And this is how he does it. This is God's rescue plan. This is his great plan. It's a marvelous thing. He sends Jesus as an infant, fully God and fully man, okay? Jesus grows in wisdom and in stature with fa- in favor with God and man, and he, as God, lives righteously as a man, that he was righteous when we couldn't be righteous. He lived the life we couldn't live, perfect life. And as he's living this perfect life, as he's, as he's living out of his righteousness, he's experiencing joy. Like he has joy. He does not lack joy. He has joy. And people look at him like, what? what's with that guy? How, how do I get joy? And so Jesus goes around preaching, and he's preaching how to get, get joy. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and righteousness will be added to you. Righteousness produces joy. Joy will be added to you. And people are like, yes, there's a way out of my misery. All I got to do is find, find the right way to get to God. All I got to do is find the right way to get to God. And I can choose my path. I can do whatever I want as long as I get to God. And, and, and Jesus says, no. No, there's only one way. There's only one way to get to God. And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets access to God's kingdom of joy except through me. And he said this, and people hated him. People didn't believe him. And so in their hatred of him, they had Jesus killed. They led him to a cross and hung him on the tree, killed, tried as a criminal, and murdered. And they mocked him. As Jesus was hanging on the tree, they mocked him. Oh, this is, this is how you find joy, right? On a tree, nails in your hands, thorns on your head. This is where joy is? Like you're, Jesus, you're crazy. And, and those people would have been right if Jesus would have stayed dead, but he by the power of God, it was resurrected. God knew exactly what he was doing by sending Jesus to the cross. If his people, if God's people were ever going to experience real joy, sin had to be dealt with. Sin had to be uprooted. The problem had to be addressed. Couldn't just cover it. Couldn't just throw something over the top and pretend like it wasn't there. Sin had to be addressed. So on the cross, Jesus became sin, and he became our unrighteousness. He became everything that prevents us from experiencing a real and deep joy. And he was killed. He became sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And with the righteousness of God, we would have joy. It's perfect righteousness. It's given to us. Jesus, the perfection of Christ was given to us there. And to get this joy, there aren't steps, there aren't hoops to jump through. You don't have to prove yourself to get this righteousness. All you have to do is confess that you are incapable of finding joy apart from Jesus and believe in your heart that Jesus offers you the joy you're looking for. 
that he forgives you of your sins, and by doing so, he makes you righteous, and in righteousness, there is joy. Because what Jesus did, our sin no longer separates us from God. Our sin is no longer the barrier between us and God. It's abolished. We now have access to God who is the source of joy, the one true source of joy. And we are given the Holy Spirit to witness to this. And as we receive the Holy Spirit, that's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. God gives us the Holy Spirit, and this witnesses to the joy that is ours and produces a joy in us. There's no such thing as a joyless Christian. There's no such thing as a joyless Christian. I'm not saying that when you come to Jesus, pain and sorrows completely disappear, because that's not the case. Jesus actually said that in this life you will face a lot of pain. There will be difficulties. There will be grief and sorrow, but I can promise you in the midst of your sorrow and grief, joy will be there and it will outweigh sorrow and pain. Just this week um, on Thursday, it marked the 17th uh, year um, of my wife's mother's passing. She passed away from colon cancer 17 years ago. And uh, we laid Kuiper down that night and uh, we, were, we were just kind of talking about the season and, and the difficulty of, and the pain of Becca not having her mom and growing up for the majority of her life without a mom. And we were just thinking of, of how, how it sucked that she wasn't around to see Becca grow up. And Becca wasn't, didn't have that mom to walk with her through those formative years of life and that um, she didn't get to see her grandson and we don't get to experience her presence during the season when we're gathered with family. And so there, there was a great deal of, of sorrow and sadness. Because the joy doesn't just pretend like that doesn't exist. Like those things are still very real. But in the midst of, of that sorrow and of that grief, we, we were not left in despair. We were not, we were not overcome and, and completely hopeless, that in the midst of that sorrow, there was joy to be had because we knew that her mother, because of her faith in Christ, was with Jesus right now, and there was no pain. She is not experiencing pain or sorrow or grief or anything bad. She is there with Jesus, and there is joy. So joy not only comes from being saved from unrighteousness, but joy also comes from knowing that one day we will be with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth, and there will be no unrighteousness to prevent us from having joy. This is why Isaac Watts' hymn, Joy to the World, is so much about joy because he's looking forward to the day when Christ's work is complete and fully realized. He's looking forward to the day when Jesus sits down on his throne and rules through all eternity with truth and with grace, where he displays his righteousness for all to see. And with these blessings of joy that just pour forth from him. And as that is on display, as God's righteousness is on display, all creation will sing and will dance with joy, proving the reality of Christ's love to bring 
people from unrighteousness to righteousness and to experience joy that will last into eternity. Symbols are crashing, horns are blaring, the band is playing, people are singing, seas are roaring, rivers clapping their hands, hills rejoicing. This is, this is what will be our reality. That type of joy. This is a place where sin and sorrows are no more because of the curse of sin has been removed. And all creation will repeat this joyous song into eternity, forever praising Christ for what he has done. So this future reality has the ability to reach back into our present. What we look forward to affects our present now and changes the way that we live right now. This is why the Christian has joy. John Stott says that one of the the greatest marks of, of a justified believer is joy. Greatest mark of a justified believer is joy because we're able to see that Christ has come and he will come. Let me ask you, in this season, in this season or not in this season, are you a joyful person? Is the gospel at work in your heart to make you a joyful person? I think there, there are two reasons why, two reasons, two primary reasons why we don't find joy. Like it's, we, we're aware of it. It's here. Christ has come. The Lord has come to the world. And the first reason is you, that causes you to not be joyful is that you just you haven't accepted Jesus as Savior and as King. Because of that, you're just stuck digging and searching for happiness, not even real joy. You're looking for happiness. You're content with small things when there could be something great and abundant and so deep for you. So you miss out on this joy. Other reason is that, and and I'm in this boat all the time, that we are prone to forgetfulness of what Christ has done and what Christ will do. Finish. As Christians, we, we can know that Jesus came to earth. We, we know the salvation story. We know God's great rescue plan, but we just forget the magnitude of it. We forget how this is supposed to produce, how this does produce a great joy in us. We just forget how marvelous Can I, whatever boat you find yourself in today, I want to invite you to this joy. I want you to see that Jesus, by coming to earth, by being nailed to a cross, he lost all joy so that you could have joy. That he became our curse so we could be freed from misery. That he gave his righteousness because we could not obtain our own. The only way to find this joy is when we look at Jesus and see what he has accomplished as our Savior, and we look forward to the joy that he will bring as our King as he rules the world with truth and grace. So I invite you, invite you not, not to pursue happiness, 
I invite you to find joy, a deep, constant, eternal joy in Jesus. To look at him, fix your eyes on him, and, and just be blown away at the wonderful, marvelous thing that God has done to bring us from unrighteousness to righteousness. And in righteousness, we have joy. And in our future, there is nothing but joy waiting for us. Heavenly Father, you are a very gracious and kind God. You are a God who in yourself, there is joy before there was anything. You were completely delighted and satisfied and, and joyful within yourself in the Trinity. From that, that joy, there was an explosion in which creation was made, and you created man to share in that joy. Oh God, and our sin keeps us from that joy, and it leaves us in a pit, and we're left helpless, but you didn't just stand by and let us waste away. You don't just let us remain in our misery and joylessness, Lord, that you do something about it, that you sent your Son to free us from the curse. You sent your son that as he was raised from the dead, he was seated at the right hand of God where he's the, the ruler of all things, that he will come again to judge and he will do so with righteousness. And as he reigns, as he sits on that throne, there's nothing but joy and delight to be had. God, we want that. We crave that joy. We, we want that so bad. So God, we thank you for making a way for us to experience that in Jesus Christ. We ask that you help us to fix our gaze on him, to, be, to look at him as our Savior and our King, and to know that joy has been made available. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.